Well, tonight we're going to uh, go to the book of, uh, you know, we're working our way through the New Testament for the most part. You know, we, we only probably got one more letter that Paul wrote that we haven't studied. But tonight we're going to deal with the book of Colossians, Colossians. And uh, I just want to say a little bit about it to kind of set it up. Those of you who have been with us this whole time and you understand Paul's writing, you can kind of see some of the things are being repeated in this book that we've learned in other books that we in Galatians and some of the other books that we have studied. So it, it shows that there's a consistency in thought when it comes to Paul. And that's how it was determined that he must have written some, most of these letters because you can see a certain pattern in the way he wrote and the way he tried to explain things. And so with the Colossians, you know, um, this is one of those books that is kind of considered the, uh, the prison letters because along with Philippians, Ephesians, and uh, Philemon, this letter was written while Paul was in, in prison in Rome. And in Colossae, as it's called, or Colossians, the people, it, it was a city in Asia Minor, you know, what we would now call modern-day Turkey. But it was so far on that uh, eastern side of Turkey in that part of the world that it was almost meeting up with the Asian part of the world. And so because of that, a lot of travelers, if you know, a lot of the spices and things that we got come from India and places over there, and that was a major trading route. So a lot of people came through there. And when those people came through, they came through with their own ideas, their own things they believed, and things of that nature. So it was a, a cosmopolitan city that was easily influenced by people who we would consider maybe religious tricksters, people who was out there hustling the gospel. You know, and, and, and so because of that, um, they were spreading some ideas that was not consistent with the teaching of the gospel, not consistent with Jesus Christ. And because of that, that, that that's being spread, if the members there and the people there didn't understand, then they could get caught up and start doing things contrary to what they already believed. And so in order for this to be relevant to us today, we got to understand that even though many of us have been in the church for years and years and years, there are teachings out there now that's come real close to the gospel, but it don't acknowledge the king of the gospel. There are spiritual teachings being taught every day where they teach about spiritual things that make sense because we do believe that there is a, a, a spiritual world and a world of matter. And so therefore, as a result of that, if you don't know what you're being taught, it can sound good to you. You know, and it can sound good because it sounds very spiritual, it sounds religious, but what you got to understand, do you hear or see Jesus in the message? If the message is void of Jesus, then you need to start pulling up the flag. Because sooner or later, everything got to come back to him. And that's what this first chapter is about. Is trying to show them the preeminence of Jesus, the, how he is supreme over everything that they could possibly worship. And so there were some people that was, I, I just long-term uh, theological asceticism, which kind of meant that there were some people who felt like anything that was matter, anything that you can touch and feel, is evil. So therefore, in their mind, in order to be spiritual, you need to stay away from everything and everybody. So they kind of live secluded lives in order to be more spiritual. And there are people like that today that live on mountains, live in communes. They don't go around a lot of folks because they feel like in order to maintain a level of spirituality, 
they can't be around a lot of other things that conflict with what they know and what they've been taught. I don't have no problem for wanting to do that, but it just don't line up because if that was the case, Jesus should have went in hiding too. You know, he, he, you know if, 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 that, if that's how he wanted us to live, if he would have gave us that example, say, okay, once you get saved, I want you to just go to your cave and stay there, and you don't have to, inter- you know, interact with other folks. But he interacts with people, so I'm believing the model that we have say that, hey, I don't have a problem with you going on a retreat every now and then to get yourself spiritually strong and, and your mind right, but sooner or later, you got to come off the mountain. You can't retreat forever. Amen. And so, you know, and going on a retreat don't necessarily make you more spiritual. Amen. And But sometimes people could think that, hey, I'm more spiritual because I've separated myself from things. So a lot of these things were being taught. And, and as a result of that, it was causing, as with all the other churches, that was causing some problems in what they had been taught by the apostles. And so it is believed that this letter uh, was not necessarily uh, written by uh, 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 well, it was written by Paul, but it's, not, it's believed that Paul was not necessarily the founder of this church. Many believe that this church may have been founded by Philemon or Epaphras, two guys who were with Paul when he was in prison, and they believe that because when he spent so much time in, in Ephesus that these people were aware of what he had been teaching, and when they went back to their hometown, they carried the gospel with them. That's neither here nor there, you know, whether they took it or he took it, the bottom line is that he wrote the letter to them. And so we believe the letter was inspired for him to write to them concerning certain things, especially when it comes to things that could be confusing. How many of you know that, you know, even if you caught up in astrology and you, and you think that your astrological sign means something to you, that could easily be like, okay, just because you're a Sagittarius, is your, do, you, do you believe that the stars talk to you every day? That they got to line up? I mean, I ain't got no problem with Zodiac signs because back in the day before I knew better, I was proud to be a Scorpio. I mean, I used to get up and read that stuff every day. I, I, you know, I just wanted, hey, you know, that was a line in the club. What's your sign? You know, so, so now if I'm using that in the club, what's your sign? Obviously, that revelation didn't come from Jesus. <laughs> so, so what I'm trying to say, we take things that we don't realize, and some of that stuff that we take from teachings in the world can easily come right into the church because most of us come into the church out of the world. And so therefore, if we don't allow the word of God to transform us and change our mind, to change the way we think, we will bring that same thinking right into the world. They got things out there now where people, you know, are, are worshiping a lot of different things, you know. I ain't got no problem. I know I, I mentioned before people asking me about crystals. I don't know enough about crystals to say yeah or nay. I just ask that when you talk to them and they give you peace, do you relate and say Jesus and you're talking to them? Do you and Jesus talk to them together or just you and them crystals? And, 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 and I say that because if you don't ask those tough questions, then people will see the crystals as being the source of their energy, the source of their power, the source of their peace, the source of their calm, calmness. God probably, if he was going to do that, he shouldn't have gave us the Holy Spirit. If we need to rely on crystals for peace and all that, and I ain't knocking it, if that make you peaceful, 
If you need an aroma scent to give you peace, I ain't got no problem with that. But man, don't make that to God. Don't feel like you can't have no peace when, when you ain't got your aroma with you. Because <laughs> you may not have it, you know. You don't take your aroma to the job. So what you do? You leave your peace at home and then go to the job and now I ain't got no peace with my job. Well, because you depending on that aroma. And they don't let you do aromatherapy on your job. So I'm just telling you, there are teachings out there today that sound good, and there's nothing to say that inherent that may be evil about that, unless when you compare that to Jesus and you think that that is a power in it that is greater than the power that he gives. And so that's the, that's the argument, and that's one of the main things that we're going to see as we deal with Colossians, that Paul was trying to get them to see. He didn't want them to be pulled away from the truth. Now, when we get into verse 1 and 2, this is a standard greeting, but we'll have a little fun with this. He says, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1 of Colossians, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. Again, he make that same argument that, hey, you know, man didn't choose me. God chose me. He, he keep letting them know because there are people out there saying, hey, you ain't a real apostle. You, you're not one of the 12. You didn't walk with Jesus. So every now and then he had to keep telling them, hey, my authority came from the man himself. I got my authority from above, and so therefore, because I know I'm an apostle of Christ, then it, I'm not intimidated by those who walk with Christ. If you know you're saved, and you know you got the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to be intimidated by folks who've been saved longer than you and maybe have the claim to be more spiritual than you. But if you're not sure who you are in the Lord, then you can be intimidated by somebody that you look at the outward appearance and say, oh, they are so spiritual. What we wear, what we carry, what we quote don't necessarily make us spiritual. You know, it, it's more to it than quoting a scripture out of the Bible that you don't memorize, and that's good if you can. But it's more to it than walking around with a Bible on your phone, or in your hand, and the clothes you wear. So when it comes to being spiritual, there's got to be a, a lifestyle change that people can see in you, regardless of whether you got a Bible with you, regardless of whether or not you know you know how to quote scripture or not, because it's your lifestyle that they read. It's your lifestyle that they're looking at. And so what he was letting them know is, hey, you know, I'm an apostle of Christ, Jesus. And, and from our brother Timothy, so that means that him and Tim Timothy was working together this time. He says, we are writing to God's holy people. Let me stop right there. Now, some of your Bibles say writing to the saints also. You know, you may see what. So holy and saint. Just think of those two words for a moment. Holy and saint. Now, in our culture, do you think, and this is your opinion, do you think those two words have become offensive to people? Holy. Hey, Major, my brother Major is a saint in the Lord. You know, how do you think people receive that when you say, we are holy? We are holy. That, you know, I'm writing to Major, I'm writing to Scribe now. To my church in the Lord to the holy people of Strive. He writes to the folk in Colosseum. I can write to the people in Strive. Holy and sanctified people in Strive. Now, now, why do you think I asked that? I asked that because when I first got saved, that, those terms used to roll off Christian tongues all the time. 
that was part of our vernacular. We said it. We talked about being holy. We tried to live like we're holy. But now, when I look at television on religious channels, very seldom do I hear saints and holy men. Jessica, go ahead. So I would say, like, holy, it, it does have a bad connotation around it now in some cases because it, it'll kind of be like people, like, when you try to say something to them, like, it's something they're doing, it's like, oh, you're trying to be holier than thou um, kind of mindset. And you look at it kind of funny when, when you, um, when you w w like, when it's said, it's said in a bad connotation a lot of times today. So that, and then I think sometimes for some, it's like a lot of pressure. Like, you're calling me holy? That's like an expectation. You kind of set there when you say that uh, about someone. So, yeah. Amen. And, and so I'm believing that as Christians, we ought to want to wear that as a badge of honor. I mean, we ought to take that as a compliment to somebody call us holy, even if they do say, you know, you're coming across like you're holy. As long as you know you're not trying to be self-righteous, you know, judging and condemning, you know, you can call wrong, wrong. And if calling wrong, wrong going to make people call you holy, don't be offended. Amen. I mean, because again, I know young people say, holy, everybody say, oh man, here he comes. He's super holy. We can't do that. No, you be yourself around me. But don't make me try to be unholy just because you unholy. And like I say, it used to be common, man. When I first got saved, saints, oh, the saints call it holy. Here's the brother in the Lord, a saint. We don't talk like that no more. Because there's an audience out there, like Jessica's saying, that feel offended when they, they can't get that. And so therefore what preachers do, they shy away from it because they don't want to offend the next generation. Yes, I see a hand, Joe. Go ahead. I'll piggyback on a little bit on what he's saying and what you're saying. A lot of people, when you say holy, they don't like, they feel offended because there's that conviction, if they know they're not living their life right and you call the say holy around them, they get that, that antsy, you know, like some saints would get antsy if you curse too much. You know how you get that feeling, that, that discernment. It's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. But if you, and then you have some who are trying to live their life right, it doesn't bother them at all. Amen. Amen. And, and so now when we look at this, and the word holy man, it really get a bad rap. Holy, sanctified, all that means is that God has set you apart. He called you out of something to himself. And when he did that, he was setting you apart from some things and some people. And so if you can't handle being set apart, then guess what? You're going to go back to where you came from. So that's the choice you got to make. So if they call you holy roll, as long as you know you're not self-condemning them and anything, condemning people like that, man, ain't, man, wear that with a badge of honor. You know, do everything. And, and just don't be afraid of the word holy. And don't let the world put you on defense. And that's what is happening now. The world put us on defense, and now we say, well, you know, I just don't want to offend nobody. Well, the gospel is offensive to some folks. Jesus said, don't separate sons from father and mother, you know, friends from friends. It's just, it's just going to do that. And so, therefore, 
if the gospel can be offensive, then as long as we present it in a way that represents Jesus, then people got to fit in with him. But we can't allow people to put us in a position where we are ashamed of the gospel. Brother Herb, go ahead. Yeah, but also, isn't it also tied to the point where uh, churches will say they're religion, religious? And sometimes when we tie ourselves to being religious, a lot of that comes with uh, uh, legalism. Mm -hmm. You, you got to do this. You got to be that. And they get tied when, when you are that. And that will point, pinpoint to certain, certain people. You know, I would say, especially I would say, coming out of certain churches, when you are religious and you're working with legalism, and you do this and you don't do that. And when you're tired of that, um, and, and they can say that, from that point on, they can say that I'm holy. I am separate because I'm operating on a religious stance where they, the definition, what you just got to saying, well, being holy is completely different in the sense of religion with legalism. Amen. And that is a difference. Now, legalism, you know, don't, now, and that's another term that churches kind of run away from because nobody won't be called legalist. But the Bible is full of rules now. It's full of guidelines. It's full of do's and don'ts. The problem is, is that certain things that become traditional in the church get put in with things in the Bible, and we think those traditions are from God when they're really just from man. And so, therefore, when I put a man-made tradition and mix it with the word of God, and that tradition carry the same weight of God's word, then now I am being legalistic. But if the Bible tells me to do something, then I need to comply with the Bible. But, the, but that is a, that's a true statement, Brother Herb. There are a lot of times, that's a popular term now, because the Pharisees were legalistic. They were self-righteous. They thought that, hey, because I wear the right clothing, you know, because we do the certain things and follow these rules that make us better than everybody else. But the problem was, behind the scenes, they were breaking the rules. So that's what make, that's what make you know, religion look bad is when the religious folk don't follow their own. So, so, Amen. Uh, Pastor, this is some good teaching here, talking about holiness. Because it has become such a quote-unquote stigma, we that are holy... Uh, or, or don't mind wearing a badge is holy, we kind of shrink back from talking about being holy. When the Bible said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. The Bible says, holiness without no man shall see Christ. So you being holier than now? Yeah, I am. Because I'm being like my father. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we can get on top of the stigma. The more people that don't mind being holy and being called holier than now, yeah, yeah. Only way I'm not holier than thou is if you got the same king that I got on the inside of me. Then me and you both the same. I'm not holier than thou. We're both just holy. Amen. And, and, and again, just a simple definition, seeing yourself as set apart. Don't let the word get you there. Just see yourself as set apart. God called you out of something to a better life, and he want to set you apart to make you special. That's the whole thing with Israel. When he called them apart, he was calling them to himself. And he was setting them apart from all the other nations around them because he wanted to see them as being special. Brother Herb? Well, 
again, it goes to a point where, I mean, that's, that was the reason why Jesus got in trouble because of that. Um, you know, who he was. And the Pharisees couldn't handle that because men and my father are one. And that really set them off. Not only set them off, but we already understand that caused his death because he was holy with father. Amen. So even Jesus understood to the point where when he called himself that, uh, people didn't like that. And, and, and the problem that they had pretty much more than anything, because they called him, he thought he was blasphemy, because in their mind, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, self-existent one, is, is too holy to have a son. He could not have a son that could walk the earth in the flesh. So therefore, if he could not have a son, anyone who walked in the earth and saying that his son is committing a sin in their eyes and worthy of death. But they didn't understand the prophecies that they had been taught. They were looking for a Messiah. It's just that the one that came is not the one that they had in mind. They, they had a vision in their head of what it was going to look like. And what that vision was didn't line up with God's vision. And so what we got to understand is that as Christians, you know, holy, sanctified, righteous, those are all good terms. We cannot, you know, eliminate words from our Christian vocabulary because of the world. What is happening is we pick up more of the world language than they pick up of ours. Every time they come up with a new, new saying in the world, we, we got it. Because it's, it's catchy. It's, it sounds good. Want to be a part of it. I ain't got no problem with that, but it gotta, sometimes you need to look up those words before you just tag them on to you. Find out where it comes from. That's why I'm so glad I got, you know, Siri and me in the Urban Dictionary get along real good. Because I'm always asking, Siri, what does that mean? Because it sounds cool to say it, and I want to imitate it, but I say, well, let, me, let me find out what does that mean. Because now it may mean something totally against what I believe. But because I see a lot of people saying it, and even some Christians saying it, I'm thinking, okay, it must be legit. But it's not uncommon for Christians to imitate the world. So look what he says. He says, now, I'm writing to the holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. That's an introduction. He's always telling the favor of God on their life, and want them to be at peace with God and man. Now, in, in verses about 3 through 14, this is kind of like a combination of a prayer and thanksgiving all wrapped in one that Paul is doing. But there are some key things in here that I want to uh, kind of uh, accentuate and bring out. He says, we always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, right there, all of us in our prayer time, and I know some people are more, more powerful prayer warriors than others, and I use powerful meaning that they got a more active prayer life than other folks. See what I'm saying? And that's not wrong with that, because everybody are not called to be intercessors. But man, if you got a if you got a, a prayer life at all, your prayer should not always be about you. You, you ought to be praying for other people. You know, a, a week and a half ago when that kid died on the football field, then they had to bring him back to life. There were folks praying who ain't never prayed in their life. Although everybody called for prayer. I'm saying, why? 
because they saw something. They saw something that caused them to say, we need to pray. And what I'm trying to get you to see, if the world could see that because of that, we ought to already been praying. As Christians, that ought to be a part. It shouldn't be no new phenomenon to say, oh, man, the dude got hit on the football field and I made you over there in prayer. And I ain't never seen Major pray before. But Major is a Christian. That's just a part of who I am. And I'm saying, all of you should have a prayer life. I mean, where you spend some time communicating with God. Because Paul said we always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're praying, give God thanks for others in your life and other people or situations around the world. The beauty about prayer is that you can pray for something and don't have to be there. None of us was on the field when the guy hit the ground. But wherever you were sitting at, in the middle of your dinner, you stopped and said, let's say a little quick prayer. So it's a powerful tool, but I think sometimes in the church we de-emphasize it, and therefore we don't have active prayer. Like here in the ministry, we, we got a prayer line that in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday night. I think that's right. Okay? And so with that time, there are people who are dedicated to that, but there are others of you out there who may be able to pray too. And you don't, and you don't need a college degree to do that. You just need a heart that is willing to talk to God on behalf of other people. And so I want to encourage some of you, if that's something that the Lord placed in your heart, try it. God will bless your effort. And I don't want to make it seem like, you know, a lot of times we think that the, 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 the length of our prayers and the fanciness of our words that we use and all that, that ain't what impressed God. Man, when you're praying, God is impressed by the sincerity of your heart because that's what he's looking at. He wants to make sure your heart is right. And so therefore, when you do that, and you can be a vessel that God can, can use when it comes to prayer. So now look at this. He said, now we're praying for you. He says, we heard some things. He says, for we heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and your love for all his people. Now last week, Brother Latham did an outstanding job talking about love, so I ain't going to hit love and all that. But in this verse 4 and 5, you see three things kind of working together. You see faith. You see love, and then in verse 5 it says, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. In other words, he said, now look, and I heard about your faith. You know, people should hear about how strong your faith or how you're growing in your faith by the way you're living your life, by the way you carry yourself, by the way you trust God in all situations in your life, that you put your trust and hope in, in him. And so he said, look, I heard about your faith in Christ. I heard how you love God's people. Like I said, last week, Brother Latham did an outstanding job telling you how important it is for us to love one another. You got to love God's people. The Bible goes sometimes as far as to say, hey, when situations get tight, you got to prefer one another. Amen. You got you to show brothers and sisters some preferential treatment every now and then. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. So if the world can look out for their own, what is wrong with you looking out for a brother or sister? So God said, look, if we pray for one another, then we got to, you know, he said, love all of God's people, which comes from your confident hope. That hope is always based on a future 
expectation. Well, what is that? That God has reserved for you in heaven. In other words, we are hoping that everything that we read in this Bible about heaven is real. We ain't seen it. Nobody has come back in a way. You may have seen some premonitions of something, something you thought, but ain't nobody came back from heaven and told you what heaven is like. What you know about heaven, you got out of this Bible. Now, we have a hope in something that we have not seen. And so, therefore, because it is a future expectation, then we got to have the faith to keep believing it, even though we have not seen it. Because if we don't have the faith to believe in things that we have not seen, then we'll give up hope. And if heaven is not the end game for us, then it, the mind will say, why well, go through all this? If all at the end of the day you're going to do is die, get cremated, or get put six feet under, if that's the end game, why go through all this? Why even worry about being called holy? Why give up this? Why stop doing that? But you got to have this expectation that there is something better. And if you don't have that, then someone can come along and present something to you that makes you think that all that exists is what you see right here and now. So therefore, you need to live for the here and here and now. So we got to have this confident hope that God has reserved for us in heaven, and because he had this place reserved for us in heaven, you have this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The good news is always going to talk about Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and the fact that he's coming back for you so that one day you can be with him. That's almost the gospel in a nutshell. It's life, death, burial, and resurrection, and the promise that you can spend eternity with him. And if that is not true, then that means the gospel is not true to us. It, it, that means that we've been fed a lot. And so, therefore, we have to act on that and carry ourselves like we really believe that there is a heaven. Because I'm telling you, you can talk to some super sophisticated people and talk you right out of believing that there's a heaven. Man, that just, that don't make no sense. It's easy for me, to, for them to believe that there's a black hole out there with some matter in it that's bumping into each other and creating force. Surely God couldn't have did that. He couldn't have took a mound of dirt and made a man. We had to come from an amoeba or something. I mean, because I mean, yeah, 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 I don't see no amoeba. They say, that's amoeba. Well, why did amoeba stop? Yeah, I mean, if, if we came from amoeba, if I was amoeba, I still want to keep turning into people. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to just stop. But again, somebody said, well, maybe God told him to stop. Okay, well, you can say that. That's what you want to believe. So we may disagree on the amoeba thing. Okay, let's disagree on that. Because your scientific background may stump me on some of that. But let's talk, you know, cold turkey here, just serious turkey. What do you believe about Jesus? Because you ain't going to stump me on him. I got, I got too much faith in him. So now, if, if I can hold on to Jesus, I'm going to be all right. We can argue and disagree about Genesis 1 and, and all that. We can disagree over that. You can show me the numbers and say, okay, it just is not practical for all that to be done in seven days. Okay. 
I done found this fossil that say the earth is 5 billion years old. And you telling me 2,200 years ago, God created. If you believe that fossil, that's okay. I ain't going to argue with you. Well, I'm pretty sure dinosaurs did exist. The Bible talk about them. I ain't going to argue with that. I don't see Rex standing up in the museum. I ain't got no problem with that. But what you believe about Jesus? I concede science to you. I concede all that. But I ain't going to concede Christ. We can agree that we're going to disagree on a lot of things, but when it comes to Jesus, we ain't conceding it. And you can't concede the gospel. And, and, and the reason I say that's all important is because when people come around and start presenting things, if you can't defend what you believe in, then it's either to be swayed away to something else. He said, now look, since you heard the truth of the good news, he said, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere, changing by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, that changing lives, if that's true, then that means everybody sitting here, lives should have gone through a transformation. So y'all said this on Sunday. Your transformation is your ministry. See, and I, I know this Bible says, see, on Sunday I couldn't call on somebody and say this, but I ain't going to call you now because some of y'all are faint if I just call you and say, just, just get up and tell us about the change. Because the Bible said the gospel had been changing lives all over the world. And you sitting here as a representative of a changed, a changed life. And so now the question is that the world is asking you, how did he change you? How did he change you? You say you're changed. Like transforming lives. Transform. Change from one thing to another. So how did he change you? Okay, your mind. Okay, when, you, when your mind changes, other things change too. But anybody just want to get a mic? Come on, just share with us. Just have some fun. You're amongst friends. Bible said we overcome by the word of our testimony. Amen. Everybody's scared, huh? See? See, now, look, get, get this. If you won't share it here amongst friends, you definitely ain't going to share it out there. Jesse, Jesse, ready to talk about it? Jesse, come on, man up. Man up, Jesse. Um, I'll talk a little bit about mine. I'll say definitely um, uh, the change that came in my life was, like, just taking better care of my health and my, um, my, my mental health and stuff like that and physical health as well because – before, like, when I kind of didn't really care too much, I would eat, eat a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been eating, like, overeating sometimes, and then um, just realizing what really called me to and stuff like that, and knowing that I'm, I'm, I'm loved by him and stuff like that really kind of just solidified from my life. Because I, I had that, and then I dealt with, like, suicidal thoughts for a long time, too, and I still do at times, but, like, just knowing that he has my back, it makes me feel so good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So he said, now, look, bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just did it change your life from the day you heard it and understood the truth. Anybody else? What's your change story about? Because the Bible says everybody's been given this ministry of reconciliation. Go ahead. I've had oh, sorry. 
cycles of changes and transformation. I'm just going to tell the most recent one. Um, I was burned on both my feet and my hand, second and third degree burns. And I thought I knew God as a healer. And I thought I believed in God, like with all my heart, mind, and soul. But when you can't walk and when you can't do anything for yourself, and you have to depend on others, and they could only do so much, it takes, it transforms your mind into believing God is really a healer and him doing more. I can hear, I would hear the doctor say, well, we don't want to debride or cut open that part of the skin because we're going to use that as a layer of protection because we don't know how deep that burn is or how bad those scars are. And as I heard them, I began to pray. I said, God, well, your word said that by your stripes I'm healed. God, I want you to do a transforming, a cleaning, a healing from the inside out. And as he did that physically, he actually did that mentally too. Changed my attitude, changed my way of talking, changed my way of thinking by way of me being burned. Second and third degree burns. Not being able to walk. Dance used to be my life. If you knew me before, you knew I loved to dance. First thing I thought about was, oh my God, I won't be able to dance anymore. I'm able to dance now. Amen. So it took my level of faith to a whole nother level, and I'm only telling tidbits of it, to a whole nother level of not being able to walk. And I treat people and teach them how to walk, but not being able to walk myself and having no one and having to lean and depend on God. So it transformed my, my, my faith, my belief in God of him as a healer that much more. Amen. Amen. Say, yes, yes, go ahead. During my time, I was um, taking out my program for the, medic uh, for the pharmacy technician. There was a lot of obstacles where people was literally trying to stop me from going where I was supposed to be going, like passing through and all this stuff. It was so difficult, but for some reason, inside I felt a little calm. And then I started panic when I started to take a test, a big test, that I, for the life of me, I couldn't pass it. And I remember I walked outside to my car because that's where I go and have lunch. And I said, Father, I'm not eating today. Today I'm going to fast for lunch, and I'm going to pray so that you can help me pass my test. When I went back inside to do the test, and not only did I pass the test, I, always, I almost scored 100. Amen. Mind you, I couldn't, could even take it. I, I mean, I just kept failing the test. And I'm panicking at that point. Go outside, pray, and I started to think about it, you know. So I felt like my faith grew at that point. And it's so much things that it, it brought me through at that point in that, just that small place. My faith went above, and because I believe, but you can believe, but that don't mean that you, you're going to do something as well, it's going to happen. No, it don't. Even when I went and took the license test, I studied. I knew I studied, mm -hmm. but all I did was sit down and I said, Father, please don't let me take that test more than once, just one time. Help me to pass this test. I went in there and passed the test and didn't even know I passed the test. When people ask me, I tell them I didn't do it. I said, the Lord himself sat there and took that test because I didn't do it. I don't know how I passed the test. Amen. You know. 
And, and so what we got to understand is that when we put our faith in God and we believe in him for things that we can't see, the onus is not on us. It's on him. And so therefore, what we have to do is to have faith to believe. You know, does God, does everything always come out the way we want it? No. But just because it don't come out the way we want it don't mean that God wasn't at work in the situation. And so sometimes what we have to understand is that we have to be willing to, to stand on our faith, but at the same time, we got to be willing to share our story. People need to hear what God has done for you, man. I mean, it, that's just a, a simple testimony that can't nobody give but you. And a lot of times that testimony will be all that some people need to hear because it's more authentic than you trying to quote a scripture that you don't even know what it's all about. When you take a sound bite, and a lot of times we as Christians run around with these little sound bites that sound good, but don't understand what came before or after it and understand what does that sound bite really mean. You know? Amen. Uh, okay, so the, the real topper of that testimony is that I was at a point in my life of frustration, frustration with ministry, frustration of trying to, to, to walk forward in ministry, to push what I know God was telling me. And I had decided I'm going to just chill back and I'm just going to sit back. I will sit in the back row. I will just sit down and do nothing. But when God showed me that he can heal me like he healed me and that if in the moment of a twinkling, I, I cannot be able to walk again, once that happened, I decided again. I thought I was confident and ready to go and move for God. I decided at that moment that wherever he say, I'm going to go. Amen. Whatever he tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Regardless of man face or what people think, if God is behind it and, and God say do it, that's what I'm doing. Amen. Amen. So when we look at this, let's move on now. When we get to verse 7 and 8, we see that Paul acknowledged that ministry is a team effort. You know, God didn't call us to, to go solo when it comes to trying to get this gospel out to the world. Yes, I know we got people who go through formal training, get licensed or ordained to carry a title or a role in the church. But look, this assignment to share and spread the gospel, it's for the people in the pew too. For, for people who have not gone to ministerial training in school. Because your story is enough for you to win others to the Lord. Then now once you win them, yeah, if you don't have the capability to teach them and, 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 uh, and continue to uh, uh, aid them in their spiritual growth, then yeah, in invite them to go to a study somewhere where they can learn and, and, and grow to the fullest of our Lord and save Jesus Christ. But to talk to them about the Lord, man, all of us can do that. So look what he said. He says a team effort. He, verse 7 and 8, he says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant. And he is helping us on your behalf. He says, he told us about your love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so now it looks like Paul has some co-laborers working with him, team effort. But also he make it known that the Holy Spirit is involved in this process. He says, now look, if you, Brother Latham talked about this last week. Man, if you're really going to love like God wants you to love, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. It just, it just is not possible to do some of the things and to love people that God prescribed for us to love people, how Jesus told his disciples, hey, you know, you got to learn how to love your enemies, pray for those that curse you and spitefully use you. Man, that, that, that's hard. And if you're talking to folk that don't go to church, that don't make no sense. They're going to look at you and say, you are crazy. You praying for that dude? You praying for that person? 
Man, she took your boyfriend. Your boo. Not her boo. And you're supposed to pray for them? Yeah. Not hate them. Not want vengeance. Because that's what, the, that's what nature, that's what flesh want to do. Flesh want to get people back. But he said, man, look, you got, to, you got to learn how to love people, and you need the Holy Spirit to help you do that. To that level of degree, you got to have the Holy Spirit. And so what we got to understand is that God has raised the bar very high when it comes to love. Very high. And, and a lot of times in the natural, we can't fathom that in our mind that God wants to love people in spite of. Because he loved us in spite of us. And so therefore, sometime in your life, that may be challenged. Can you love someone that hates you, talk bad about you? That's, that's tough. But it don't change the word. Go ahead, go ahead. That's, and that's why, you know, when you do, your, when, you, when you read the word, uh, and especially when you go back and understand um, the Old Testament, you, sh- you see how, who God is and how he loved his people. I mean, you just saying that love someone that that's uh, talk about you or will do wrong with you. You go back and read in the Old Testament how the people he uh, Israel and Judah turned their back on God, but then you turn and see how God will never forsake them. Always come back and show how much He loved His people. This is the same God now in our time to say he is love. He demonstrated his love. And with that hope and with that, and he gave his only begotten son and all that, you can see and know that this God loved so much. And, I mean, it's, it's so rich to see how, what God is. He is love. It's so demonstrated. Amen. From, from, from the Old Testament. And, and I think that's a message that all of us can share with those who think that for some reason God don't love them because of what they're doing and what they have done. And that's the message that we got to take on that message of reconciliation. Hey, God sent Jesus to take care of all that. And he loved you enough for Jesus to die for you. Like Brother Herb said, while we were yet still sinners, he didn't say, Major, got to get this thing right. Once Major get it right, then I'll send Jesus down sell the deal. No, Jesus came while the world was all jacked up. Major, go ahead. Got a mic? So, Pastor, what we're saying is that we have the capability. I just think about if if someone took one of my children's life. That'd be tough. But well, what we're saying is you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, so you have the capability. Whether you do it or not is something different. But you, you're, you're capable of forgiving and, and loving that person? You know, I, I've seen people give testimony on television. Now, everybody don't do that. I mean, I don't hear it often, but I've seen people who have lost a loved one and still say, that, hey, I can forgive that 
person, you know, we're going to continue to pray for them. I even heard some of the people in Charleston, South Carolina, after that church got shot up. Some of those people will say, hey, we're going to pray for the guy, you know. Now, just because I'm praying for him, for him don't mean I don't want justice to be served. I mean, he broke a law, and the law says this is what he should get. But if he don't, you know, I'm, I, I'm still, I, I got to find a way, because if I not, don't, it'll eat me up, and it's going to put hatred in my heart. You know, and, and, and I know that's tough, because most of us have never been in a situation where someone had just murdered somebody that was close to you, you know, and maybe you have been and had to fight your way through that. And I tell you, if, if you've been in a situation like that, then dwelling on it and having vengeance and hatred in your heart, you ain't going to help you get out of it. It's going to probably do more damage to you than you realize because we're not wired to walk around with anger and bitterness and carry that all the time. That's not how God wired us. But it is a natural response to want to see something bad happen. But that's why even in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the world out there, you know, everybody believe in revenge. You know, that, that's why we can't stop gang violence. Because once they kill somebody else, them guys, they're going to say, well, hey, man, we're just going to forgive them. No, once we bury him or whatever, we're going to get them guys. And so once we start that back and forth, it ain't going to never end. Somebody got to say, okay, we got to stop this madness and believe that we can love people so we won't have to kill each other. But it's easier said than done. If that was so easy, the whole world would be a better place right now. You know, Ukraine wouldn't be all jacked up over there now if folks would practice love. But people who don't know the Lord ain't going to practice that. So we have to deal with those things, the situations that come in real life to us, but we have to deal with them and also keeping in mind what God's principles are in regard to that. You know, and when I tell people, just because you can say you can forgive people, you may never forget what they did to you. But at some point in time, you're going to have to be able to have that memory and not let that memory cause you to go to a place of anger and all that where you now start to get bitter. Because once bitterness get in your heart, man, and hatred get in, you know, it's going to eat you up. It's going to eat you up. Thank you, Pastor. Go ahead, Sister So before Major even um, asked that question, I was, I was going to share um, one of the first questions I was asking God uh, as a new Christian was, how do I forgive somebody who, who hurt me or who, who did wrong to me? You know, abuse, um, molestation, all those types. How do you forgive somebody who's done something like that to you? How do you, how do you forgive that? And that was one of my first, uh, those questions. How do you, you just move on? How do you? You know, people say, oh, let it go, forgive him. It's, I think it's more to it than that. And, and for some people, depending on what you went through, um, yeah, you could have the Holy Spirit, and you could still struggle with um, forgive, unforgiveness. But it is a process, and there is a place where God will let you know. And for me, it was how he's forgiven me for the things that I had done wrong. Amen. It was that, you know. And, and for me, looking at, well, why, you know, those certain things that had happened, all things working together for the good of those. It was a sermon preached that me as a new Christian and the, the, the way that it laid out, the things that you've experienced or the things that you've gone through, painful things that you didn't cause upon yourself. Yeah, you are, you are still able to forgive other people, forgive people who've done those things to you. But there is a process and it is you taking it to God and laying it before God bare to be able to get there. 
The right. other thing was when you shared just now, um, or Major's example, how do you forgive someone who killed your, who killed your child, or who, who you know killed your, well, my brother, my brother was killed in a hit and run, and the guy who did it, he didn't um, show any remorse. In fact, he left the scene of the crime, tried to hide his vehicle and all kind of stuff. And to this day, it's still a court trial, it's still some stuff going on there. But how do you get there to forgive someone who shows no remorse, who killed your child, your brother, your sister, your family member? It is a process and it does take the Holy Spirit because like Pastor said, the first thing you, first thing for me was, you want justice to be served. And the, the initial for me was, you want them to pay to the fullest extent of the law. That was me early on. And some of my family members are still there, but as I went along in the process, I realized that no punishment that man could give would, would take away the pain or bring my brother back that I felt. And so whatever the outcome was, whatever the judge decides in that case, whatever justice is served upon him, I gotta trust and believe that that was the outcome that God wanted because that's what I'm praying and have peace with that so that I don't have bitterness or anger. And those things are looking for a way to creep in so that you can live your life angry and bitter and upset. And whether we know it or not, when we don't let go of those things, we carry those things into different circumstances and into different situations in our lives. But it is a pro there's a process there. And we don't just, you don't just get there overnight. You do lay that stuff bare before God so that you can get in a place of peace. And, and so, so I guess I'm uh, maybe confusing a little bit. So I understand forgiveness, but does forgiveness equate to loving? Well, well, you know, it depends on if you got to demonstrate that. Go ahead, Adrian. Go ahead. I, 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 for me, I think so. Because I had to go through what is God trying to do in this man's life. For me, in my life, I had to figure out, for me, in order to be able to forgive people that have hurt me or have done some things that are, can't be undone, I had to go back and find out what kind of life they lived and why they are the way they are and what they went through to make them the way that they are. And that, for some reason, helped me to realize, hey, this guy didn't even have an upbringing. He just repeating a cycle of what was done to him or this person is, and then for, for the guy who killed, I could never, it seemed like I would never be able to understand that, but what is God trying to do in him, do in his life? Is that a soul that God is trying to save? And it takes something to think that far down. Right. It, de it definitely takes the Holy Spirit to get you down that train of thought because initially in your flesh, that is not what, and I'm being real, that is not what I was thinking, Amen. you know, initially. Amen. Amen. Pastor, so, Pastor, can I give another example? Go ahead. See, we're talking about death. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm about to die. Peter says, no, no, far be it from you, Lord. And then he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Before the night is over with, the, the rooster's going to crow three times and you'll be done denied me. This happens. Judas is feeling sorrowful for what he's done. He's betrayed it. He's got his little money, and he's trying to go back to the temple, and he can't get any remorse for himself. He doesn't get the forgiveness that he needs. He doesn't come to Jesus. He hangs himself. Peter runs away. The rest of the disciples are in fear. Jesus comes back, and they find out, hey, he, he rose again. 
Mary and the girls tell him, hey, he rose, so him and John run to the tomb, and they see this. But until Peter saw it for himself, and he gets out of the boat, I'm going fishing. Okay, they catch nothing. Jesus is on the shore. Hey, fellas, what y'all got? Come on down here and get, get some fish dinner. And they say, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter doesn't even wait. He jumps, takes his clothes off, and jumps and swims to him. And while they're eating, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Because this is his thing about getting reconciliation even with us. Because he comes to us. He knows the filth that we have done, will do, and are going to do. And it's one of the things that, you know, I was listening to this guy talk earlier today, and, and he was talking about he had the prophet Hosea go and marry a prostitute because he wanted him to live and feel what God feels for his people. He brings them out of Egypt. He treats them right, and they yet run to Baal and every other God. And yet he's there showing love to the people. And yet this is just like us. As good as God is to us, we run to people, places, and things, giving them the glory that God deserves. Amen. Amen. Pastor, I just want to add one thing. Major's question, when I think about it, he said, does that, does uh, forgiveness equate to love? I, I, think it, I think it does. I think you got to get there in order to forgive. I think you have to, I, th I think you, um, you love God more than what, what, what has happened and realize that his plan and his purposes are greater than what we could think or imagine. But, but I'm thinking, okay, if something like that happens, I, I can forgive you, but I don't necessarily have to deal with you. I mean, I can say I forgive you for what you did, but then you're no longer a part of my life. So I can forgive you, but does that equate to loving you? No. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I can forgive you because I, I don't have to deal with you anymore. Is that, I mean, is that kind of it? And, Pastor, maybe that's easier. I can forgive you because I don't have to deal with you, but I think you need to be able to forgive you even if I do have to deal with you. Like, imagine you have to, you have to see someone who has hurt you. You have to yeah. work next to somebody who has done something to you. You still, I got to deal with you. I still got to forgive you. But the scenario is, you know, you, you talking about me, you, you know, you lying on me. Okay, I mean, no, no, yeah, I mean. You, you took my child's life. I don't know. I mean, I think you. I think you can forgive somebody, yeah, love them, and I not have a relation, an yeah, ongoing yeah, relationship right. with them. I can them. forgive you, but am I still dealing with you? I, I, don't, I don't. Well, know. I think when you start talking about it from the standpoint of love and unconditional love, you know, okay, you may not like that person, but from God's point of view, you got to be able to have that that love to it. And I don't think that love means you got to go and you know visit yeah. them in prison. But, but if you're strong enough, that'll be a nice gesture. If the Lord gets you to that point, but I don't think he would tell you, hey, you got to go and do that. But I do think that, you know, you may ask yourself, man, if I, if I have to be the guy to pull the switch on him, yeah. would I pull the switch? No. But as long as somebody else is doing it, you can say, yeah, yeah they pull the switch. But if, if the judge tell you, Major, I just want you to go in there and just pull the switch. No. You couldn't do it? No. Then Pastor, that would be an act of love. But Pastor, this thing, I'm so sorry. The sting has to be, it has to be different. When you go there in thought, because you don't, you're not going to forget. When you go there in your thought, things that have happened to you, things that have been done wrong to you, 
and you have truly forgiven the person or, for, or whatever it is, the sting is it's a different, it's different. It's different than when it happened, when initially, when you know it bring all them emotions back up, you back where you started. I'm so sorry, Pastor. That's okay. But That's okay. the sting is different. Amen. Anybody else got a comment? Yeah. Oh, 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 one Herb. question I just say is that, uh, once again, that we're supposed to be uh, connected to, the, to God. And uh, God demonstrated to us, Moses was a murderer. I mean, and he loved Moses. David was a murderer. And, and God loved David. And, and God loved, what I'm trying to say is that if we supposed to show that same love, are we, as, are we supposed to say the same love? Does he want his, does he want his people to demonstrate the same love? I'm, I'm just saying, do God, I mean. I think. The expectation is high, the bar is high. high. The bar is high. And Adrian said it perfectly when she said, there is a process that has to take place. Because at the end of the day, God is not going to judge us or call us or, or question what the person did to us, but it is what we have done. We have to check our heart. Is it easy to forgive somebody to, who, who have done that? No. And anybody say that it is like it's so easy to just forgive and move on is lying. And I said what I said. They lie. It is a process. But I think in that process, we can't allow hatred for the person because even though you don't have to deal with them, Physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, you're still dealing with that person. So you have to check your heart. It's a process of praying, God, renew a right spirit in me. God, clean my heart. Give me a heart of flesh so that you don't house anger and hatred and bitterness for someone who has done something to you. Because God's not going to say what they did to you. He's going to say, what you did to them. Where's your heart? So you have to allow that process to take place in your heart and be honest with where you are because I forgive you, but I ain't got to deal with you. But when I see you and I hear your name, something come up on the inside. You ain't forgive them. Major, get a mic. Get a mic. Can, can, can I say something can right quick? Go ahead, brother, brother Greg. Matter of fact, right now, I'm going through a situation right now, I mean, like right now, where you're speaking of forgiveness and love. And you speak about your child, and you see your child go through something. So in order to separate yourself, like you say, you got to go through a process, it's a hard process. Because I know within, deep in me, where I'm from, it's in me. And, it's, and, and sometimes it wants to come out. So, like right now, it's good that I'm here because if I was where I should be, it would be a bad situation. It would be a bad situation because of that hurt, that anger, and I'm going to say it, that hatred. Because I guess it is a process that I have to go through. And I tell you, part of me don't want that process to go through because of the hatred. So 
I pray about it. I hope that the spirit, that love, fester itself in me that, like I said, I know right now this is the best place for me as to being what I should be, you know. Amen. Just to separate, to remove myself from that situation, and then I can get a phone call and say, okay, hey, yeah, you can come home now. So when I get that phone call to say I can come home, I'll go home. So from here, I'll go to the gym. Okay, so I leave, go to the gym. Okay, it's good that I come home because if it's still there, it's going to be a real problem, you know. So I understand you're saying it's a process, but just to be real with myself, I know what's in me. As a young man, I didn't come into the military until I was 21. So from the time from high school to 21, yeah, I was mischievous in the worst way. So some of that is still trying to fester itself in me, but like Sunday morning, okay, I know I need to be here. Wednesday, I know I need to be here. So those things, yeah, it is a process, but it's not an easy process. Amen, amen, and, and that's, that's powerful testimony. And, and, and I think all this show us that that is even more so why we have to rely on the spirit, man. We gotta believe that there's a spirit in us because if not, flesh will do what flesh wanna do. I mean, because that comes easy to us. Flesh will go back to the place it's familiar with and do things that go contrary to the word of God. And that's why sometimes, you know, when it comes to doing things, we have to separate ourselves from some situations. You know, you know, it, it's something the Bible tells us we can stand, but there are certain times when the Bible says, hey, you need to put some distance between you and this situation because you know you may not react in a way that's going to glorify God. Pastor, so I, can, so I think I can separate myself from, from revenge, or that, but, but I can't separate myself from the anger of the loss. I, I can't separate myself from that. So I think I will be dealing more with being upset about the loss and dealing with that pain as opposed to, you know, worrying about, you know, revenge. You know, at first, maybe so. But again, through the process, I'm, I'm still dealing with the loss. You know, I, the other person, I don't, I don't have time for that right now. Right now, I'm, I'm still dealing with the loss, and I understand that it's a process, but that's, that's a, a long, hurtful process to get me to where I'm thinking about, you know, who did it. I'm, I'm still, you know, worrying about suffering through the loss or just getting through the loss, just getting from day to day with that on my heart. Wow. Major, you, you don't get to separate the loss from the, you deal with all of it. You have all the emotions. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's all happened all at one time. You don't get to say, I'm going to deal with the loss, and then I'm going to deal with about the person who did it. All of it is all happening. You, you get what I'm saying? It's all at one time. And but, so, I, I can't explain it. Yeah. I, I lived it, but I can't explain it. And I can't say that my experience is going to be the same experience for everybody. Everybody's probably going to handle, even the grieving process is a process. And so, but you don't get to determine, I'm going to feel sad today for my loss. And then tomorrow, I'm going to feel anger towards a person. It can all run its course at one time. Yes, sir. Thanks. Thanks for so, and, and, and again, going back to what Adrian said, trying to you know, piggyback on, on, on your comments, Major. I think at, at some point in time, you have to ask yourself, how long can you carry that around? I mean, you got to try to find a way till you get to a point in that process so that, you know, that you are no longer angry and bitter and hateful when that situation come across your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, scars that happen in our lives are going to be there forever. Right. I mean, this brain, man, it's going to hold on. If something bad happened to you when you was young, I guarantee you 
if you spend too much time thinking about your past, that e event can come right back up to you. And if you're not careful, you'll feel the same anger that you felt then. But now when you start to heal, like a wound that heals, you can deal with that by thinking about it and not necessarily feeling the same level of anger and hatred that you did when it first happened. Because at some point in time, you know, God expects us to, to not forget that, but we got to move on to the point that it don't hinder us from doing what he called us to do or living the way he wants us to live. And I, I'm not making that, that's an easy thing. I mean, it, it could be in anything, man. I, I tell you what, I use this example all the time. Man, when I think about, you know, Lady Jeanette, sometimes I get mad at God. You know, I, I say, God, look here. You said we're supposed to get three score and ten. Why didn't she get three score and ten? I mean, it don't make no Out of all the diseases in the world, why did she have to get one that when the doctors diagnose, they tell you there is no cure? So at that time, I'm saying, God, hey, man, this ain't lining up for me, God, because based on what they're telling me, she ain't going to make 70. And so now I'm, I'm mad at God, but then I have to catch myself and say, do I still believe that he know what he's doing? And so what I'm trying to tell you, it was hard, but it was a process of me going through the process to say, no matter how I feel about God, it ain't going to bring her back. So I'm going to have to learn how to deal with that, or I'm going to be stuck in that place, mad at God, and I'm not going to be able to function like he want me to function. So there are a lot of things that can come up in our lives that we can look and say, your word said that. That you're going to give us three score and ten, and if by permission we get 80. So you cut her life short by 18, by at least eight years, but then she should have made 80. And so if I hold on to that, then I'll be bitter, and I, won't want to, I couldn't do what I'm doing now. Because I, I would no longer have the faith for this gospel, because I would say that one scripture that says three score and ten, I took that to mean that God's going to give us that. And he didn't. That ain't like her dying in an accident. Done like that. Different. So we deal with everything in, in a way, but at the end of the day, we still have to rely on our faith in, in God and the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Because at some point in time, you're going to either move on or you're going to die just where you are. And life is still going on while you stuck there. And that's what you got to make up in your mind. How are you going to move forward to the next phase of your life? Because if you don't, then you will be stuck in bitterness and anger. And not only the people that you hate now is going to be the recipient of some of your anger, it's going to be people that you love. Brother Herb, did I see your hand? I, you pretty much say what you what you said that you know when when it comes back memories of, of loved ones and such as that what you just went through but the thing is is where we at today is we're gonna get to is saying we need Christ in our lives amen and and, and this is where we at and you know that you're gonna go through and when you know that you go through what you know that you, you we know now that we can lean on to the Lord, our Christ, we go to him to get us through. Amen. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get through. 
the pain that you, that you go through, the experience that you go through, it's Christ that we need to be. It's Christ going to get us over the, over the hump. And if you turn your eyes not from him, then you will feel the pain and all that, and you don't have no way of getting through that. But Christ is the way you're going to go through life. And that's where we're at, and that's what, we, that's what we're striving for. And that's what Paul is telling these people. Hey, Christ is all you need. This is how you get through it. This Amen. is how you're going to get through life. Amen. Amen. Uh, he's the Savior. Amen. We're going to get that. We're going to get that. We ain't going to get that at night, though. I see this is going to be a two-part chapter here. I thought we... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be real quick, but as a clinician, I know that a wound and a scar will heal without doing anything to it. It will heal. The body will find a way to heal itself. However, you will have scar tissue that will prevent you from having normal range of motion. And I'm saying all that to say this, even in going through our, our, our process of healing and dealing with things and forgiving and all that stuff, we are not an island to ourselves. I heard pastors just say how we should minister and even from the pews to the pulpit, or, and I'm paraphrasing what he was saying, we all have a certain part to play in this walk, meaning we are not an island to ourselves. Whatever you're dealing with, pray. Find that person that can go in and help you do some scar tissue friction massaging word of God in your life to help you deal with some of that stuff, to help you through the process. For you to think I can deal with this on my own all by myself may or may not be a reality. We have to learn how to lean on our sisters and lean on our brothers to pray with us where one could put a thousand, two could put ten thousand to Amen. apply. Amen. And, and, and you know, and, and Adrian, get a mic because what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm going to read verse 9 and then we're just going to take these last couple of minutes and we're just going to have Adrian, I want you to just kind of say a prayer and anybody else in here who want to pray for what you've heard tonight because I do believe that there's a power in prayer. And I think God got us in this moment in time for a reason. Obviously, this was my plan. My plan was to get through all 29 of these verses tonight so we can go to chapter 2 next week. But obviously, the plan that got changed. Amen? And so we want to be sensitive because look what he says to them in verse 9. And, and Adrian, get the mic. And anybody who want to pray, we can just turn this into a prayer moment these last 10 minutes. He says, we have not, not stopped praying for you. Since we heard what you're going through, Major, Brother Greg, we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. What is God's will for your life in this situation? You got to come into the knowledge of who God is and what his will is based upon what his words say and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, the ability to comprehend what God's words say about your situation. Because God got an answer, but sometimes we don't want to comprehend. We don't want to understand. And that's why one of the prophets say, with all you're getting, get an understanding. Try to understand where you are, the situation you're in, what caused it, what goes along with that. And, and that's what it caused me to do when Lady Jeanette got sick. That made me to start researching all I could about ALS, where it come from, how it runs in a family, genetics, and all of that. And once I started doing that, I'm saying there's a possibility 
that some of her other relatives died of they just they didn't know the big term. Because that gave me a peace, but I'm telling you, when I stood there and that doctor said what he said to me, man, I mean, I, me and God, man, I was, I was ready for it. I mean, look here. No, I mean, you, you, no. And then I got a sermon I got to preach on Sunday, and you, no, man, I ain't. Because my faith was being tested, about to be shaken. The point say, man, look at why, why you even keep doing this, man. She ain't get 70. That ain't asking too much for you, God. Ain't asking too much. Then I started thinking about some people don't even get 15. Don't even get 10. Some people, babies don't live but a couple weeks. Now, it started making me think in the whole big picture and then appreciating the, the 62 when I compare it to someone who lost a baby that's only 18 months old. Something like that. That looked like had every reason to live, but for some reason they died. And there are some things that happen to us we can't always explain with our natural mind. And that's why we have to trust God for those things that we just can't wrap our mind around. Because if not, without the Holy Spirit, it can drive you out your mind. That's why some people lose their mind when certain things happen to them because they don't know how to process things and they don't know how to trust and understand God in those situations. You know, and so with that said, you know, we've shared some powerful things here tonight. And, and so we're not going to try to rush through this. I was going to go ahead and just read the rest of it. But, man, you know me. I got too many notes here to read from 9 to 29 without, without talking about something. Did I see another hand? Myrna, go ahead. And, and, and while we're doing that, so why don't you all just please stand. Adrian, get a mic. Put your heart in mind. If any of you want to share a prayer for something or a situation as we get ready to close out, man, whatever the Lord leads you to, to pray for and to pray for uh, about uh, to intercede to for somebody, please do so. I have to say I'm really glad for this lesson tonight because I harbor a certain pain in me. For many years from I was a very young lady, I birthed my first child and I was in school back home. And this professor had a problem. And he started arguing with me, but I was at very good grade. And I answered him and I kept walking. And while I'm walking, him hit me in the back. And when I fell, him, him kicked me in my chest. Mm. It still bothered me. Even when he's dead, it still bothered me. And I feel like it bothered me more because nobody did anything about it mm. at all. Because until my mother was in there and I was still a, a child, but I just gave birth. So I guess I'm going to have to pray real hard because it still disturbs. And it's, it surfaces every so often. Amen. 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 Any other comments before we go to God? You know, just because we're <laughs> saved, you know, don't mean that we have uh, immune from things happen to us after we get saved, and even the things that happened to us before we got saved. But somehow, because of faith and hope, man, we still have to focus on Jesus and believe that he can bring us through, because that, that's all we can do, because we, we can't bring back what we've lost. And, and so we got to ask God, that how do we cope with that loss and, 
and try to move on with, with our lives and do what he's called us to do. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray Anybody? together. Yeah. Let's pray Amen. together. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah to your name, Father. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, because you heard everything that was said, Father. You know what you intended for tonight, Lord God. And we just come before you, Lord God, with humble hearts, Lord God. Father God, we lay our hearts bare before you tonight, yes, Father. Lord. God, knowing that you see all and that you know all. You know what things are undealt with, Lord God. You know what things that needed to come out tonight, Father. Yes, and we Lord. ask right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you will move on the hearts of your people tonight. Yes, Father Lord. God, one by one and yes, name Lord. by name, yes, household Lord. by household. Yes, Lord. Father God, move by your spirit, Lord God. Oh, yes. Father God, we ask right now that you would dig up the root of unforgiveness right now in yes, the name Lord. of Hallelujah. Jesus. Father God, all of those things that we may harbor, those things that we don't even know, that we feel like we have forgotten about, Lord God, that it still rears its head in times where we get angry, Lord God. Yes, Lord. We destroy the root of bitterness right now yes, in Lord. the mighty name of Jesus. Father God, and we bring to the forefront, Lord God, yes, those Lord. things that have caused us pain, oh God, those who have struggled with abuse, Lord God, yes, those Lord. who have struggled with molestation, Lord God, yes, those, Lord. Father God, who have anger in their hearts towards people that have hurt them, that have spoken ill words towards them, Lord God, yes, Lord. people that have intentionally hurt them, God, right now in the name of Jesus, yes, by your spirit, Lord God, yes, Lord. move on the hearts of your people, Father yes, God. Let us release those things that are not yes, like you, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Have your way in this place on tonight, Father. For somebody online who's struggling, Lord God, hallelujah, it is so, it is possible, yes, hallelujah, Lord. for you to do a mighty work in our hearts, oh God. Yes, Lord. Father God, we understand that we don't forgive when we don't forgive, Lord God, that we hold ourselves back, oh God. Yes, but Father Lord. God, we want to run forward right now in the name of Jesus yes, to do the things that you have called us to do, Father yes, God. Lord. Unhindered, Lord God, unafraid, oh God, in the name of Jesus, move by your spirit, yes, Lord God. Lord. Hallelujah. Do a mighty work, Father. You see, Father God, the one struggling to let that thing go, Lord God. Yes, but I ask you right now, Lord God, that you would take the heart, Father God, the yes. stony heart, yes, and Lord. replace it with the heart of flesh right now in the name of Jesus. Make a soft heart, Lord God, that we realize that all things need to be done for your glory, Lord God. Yes, Lord. We realize tonight that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. No pain, there's no pain that you can't fill. There's no void that you can't fill, Lord God. Yes, Lord. And so right now I ask that you fill every void, Father God, that you make yourself be known. Father God, we realize that it is a process. Take us through the process, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let Thank us you. know that you are with us every step of the way, Father yes, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And for that one who's thinking about making that decision, Father God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that yes, you would Lord. hold the anger back, oh yes, God. Yes, Lord. Long enough to speak to his heart, Lord. Yes. In the name of Jesus. Mm. Long enough that he would hear your word. Hallelujah. Yes, you, you can speak peace to a storm, God. Speak peace right now, God, in the name of Jesus. Yes. You're working that situation out before we ever can do a thing with our hands, Father God. Go before us and behind us. 
God, we know that you hear us on tonight. Yes, Lord. Move by your spirit in this place. Yes, Lord. Touch our families and our households and everything that we are concerned about, Lord God. Yes, Lord. You see it. You know it all, Father God. So yes, you said you, you know all things. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, no, no, no. You know all, all things, things, God. Hallelujah. You know all things, oh God. And so even those things that we don't understand, you said lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge me and I will direct your path. Yes, Lord. Direct our paths on tonight. Yes, Lord. We turn it all over to you, Father God. We know that you are faithful. You are just. You said in all of our getting, get an understanding. Yes, Help Lord. us to understand you better. Put your word in our hearts and in our mouths, Father God, that we might not sin against you, God. Yes, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Father God. And we submit all of these prayers into you, Father, knowing that you're able to do all things. Yes, knowing Lord. that you love us where you are. Yes, and Lord. that you're calling us to maturity. You're calling us to, to grow in your word, Father. Yes, move by your spirit, God. Yes, Lord. We trust that you are able to do this. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus on tonight. We lift up a praise from our mouth, God, because we Hallelujah. count it done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your Glory name, God. To your name, Hallelujah. Bless your name. You're worthy to be praised. Yes, you are, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise on tonight. Hallelujah. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen. In the good times and the bad times, we've got to find a way to give God praise. You may be seated for a few moments as we go through a couple of announcements, then we're going to dismiss.